Ecclesiastes 11.6 says this, In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, whether both alike will be good. Amen. We're done, right? So, so you read verses like that, you're like, what in the world is this guy talking about? So let me begin with a question. How many of you want, know what's going to happen tomorrow? None of you know what's going to happen tomorrow, okay? Uh, next week? Next year? You just never know, do you? And one of the things is that a lot of us, we want to know, or we want guarantees. And not knowing, particularly in your generation, produces a lot of anxiety. Anxiety is epidemic in your generation. Now you say, well, how do you know these things? I have a 31-year-old, I have a 29-year-old, and I have a 25-year-old, and they all have friends, and I know a lot of young people, and I just know that this is what a lot of people go through. On the other hand, most people I know, even if they deny it, they want their life to mean something. They want to make a difference in this world. How many of you, quick show of hands, how many of you want to make a difference in this world? Okay, what do the rest of you want to do? <laughs> okay, so, so most of you, you want to make a difference in this world. Uh, but most people, um, the uncertainty of how things will turn out, what do they do? Most people end up doing nothing. They get so hung up on what they're going to do that they do nothing, or they rush ahead and both miss the opportunities to make a difference. So the question of our, for tonight is, how does someone take a step of faith? How does someone venture out in faith? And, and, and at the same time, how can we be bold and confident when we don't know the outcome? Some of you are already like, you're stressing me out, Pastor Jim. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm a little scared about what's going on. Well, why would I talk about this tonight? Well, a few years ago, I read a poll, and, and, it, and it said this, that 40% of people in their 20s and 30s wanted to own their own business. 40%. Recently, I read a poll that said this, that 72% of high school kids want to own their own business, yet... They had no idea how to get started. Have any of you ever wanted to own your own business? Just quick show of hands again. Anybody? Anybody? A lot of you. A lot of you. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Now, this is going to add a lot of time to my talking tonight because I'm going to talk about myself more than, I'm going to talk about myself more to you tonight than I will to my own, and I pastor a congregation, you know, and, and so more than I talk to the, about myself probably in four to six months. That, that's the two things I always, they always say. You don't talk about yourself enough, and you always hurry up at the end. But when there's not multiple services, you don't have to do that. I don't have to flip the parking lot. So I'm going to talk about myself more than I normally do. And again, when you say, he talked forever, I had to do this. Uh, I have one 
unfair advantage over a lot of people. And I'll try not to get emotional about it because he's been gone for 20-something years. But I had an amazing father. I had, not many people can say that. My father used to say to me, son, as long as you try your best, right, I'm not going to worry about you. That's all I expect from you. I know good things will come in time. I used to play baseball, and I'd get four hits. Get four times, get four hits. Get in the car. He used this word lollygag all the time. I wasn't sure what that meant. He's like, you're like, you're like hit the ball, and you're admiring your work as you're running down the first base. Like, look at me, everybody. And, you know, you could have maybe made a double out of it. And the next week, I'd go up against one of the best, you know, pitchers in the county, and I'd strike out three times. We'd get back in the car, and he'd go, you know, you, pitch, you, you swung at some really good pitches. You see, my dad was not so much concerned with the, the results as he was with the attitude and the effort. When I was in high school and college, I worked for guys who owned their small businesses, and I caught the entrepreneurial bug, and I started my first company when I was 24 years old. I didn't even need to shave till I was 30. <laughs> so I look young. And so I, I started that. I started with $2,000 and a beat-up van, and I lived in the luxurious accommodations of my van at the rest stop on the New Jersey Turnpike next to Newark Airport. <laughs> so my wife never wanted to live there when I met her. I don't know why. Now, when I started, the economy was terrible. You hear all this stuff about these horrible years from the 1980s? That's when I was in college. That's when I graduated. I went to six banks before one would even open up a bank account for me. I had actually charmed some old lady. Now, I, was, I didn't become a Christian until I was 29. Normally, if I went to the bank, I went to the cute girl that was sitting at the desk. I'd be like, oh, no, I'm waiting to see her. But I had to go finally to this old lady, charmed her. She opened up a bank account for me. And so there I guess I started my business. Business number one, age 24. Business number two, I started at age 26. I remember one time I was on an interview at Exxon Chemical, and they said, where's your father? We're talking about a lot of business. And I said, he works for the phone company. And they said, you're the owner? I said, yeah, I'm the owner. And they were like, you got to be kidding me. Then I started company number three when I was 28 years old. So now here I am. I've got three companies. I'm making boatloads of money. Uh, things seem to be going really great for me. But I was also a huge drug and alcohol user and chased a lot of girls. And when you have a lot of money, they chase you too. Okay, let's just be fair. So you know the guy driving down the turnpike, down down Parkway, going 125, zipping in between the cars on Friday night? Any of you know that guy? Yeah, that's me. Okay, that's the guy that, that's talking here tonight. And then I followed a pretty girl to church, and I got saved in what is now known as the New York City late 80s revival that took place. Almost two years later, I was at a young adults group, and I had seen this girl in church who I thought was underage, so I went the other way. And then I met her, and it turns out that she was 23, and I was like, hey. And two years later, we got married. 
Now, how many of you have watched the show The Office? All right, okay. Those of you who watch The Office, you will never forget me and my wife. My name is Jim. Her name is Pam. Okay? We are Jim and Pam. And we have the same relationship. I mean, we're driving down the road, we see a road sign, and we're still making fun of it 20 minutes later. We're like, we're so weird. And then we ever watch that show, because people used to go to us, oh, we're Jim and Pam, maybe I like The Office. We go, why does everybody say that to us? So then we saw it, and we're like, oh my gosh, we have the same personality. So we have been married for 33 years, okay? For me, ready, ladies, go, ah, one, two, three. Yeah, 33 wonderful years for me. It has been great. Probably about 26 or 27 for her. <laughs> but it hasn't, hasn't, been exactly, hasn't been exactly the same. And again, we have three kids. And I came, we came, I, I had been a Christian for uh, about 11 years already, and we came to Calvary Chapel, Obridge in 1999. Pastor Lloyd once asked me, when did you come here? I said, Luke 9. So uh, I said, don't we calculate, we don't calculate by years, we calculate by where we are in the Bible. And so I was a youth leader here for five years. We used to meet way down in what's the way far down at the other end of the building. It was really smelly. There was wrestling mats and everything. It was so ghetto. I loved it. It was great. And um, in 2003, I sort of retired. I sold two of my three companies. Um, I was, one of them, I was Tommy Hilfiger's air freight guy. And so sold two of my three companies and I came on staff here, I kept one, came on staff here as an intern with the goal of going out and planting a church. So in 2005, we did what's called a parachute plant. A parachute plant or a frontier plant means that we moved to a place where we knew nobody, absolutely nobody, far from here. I said, I'm going at least an hour away. Pastor Lloyd and I went out to lunch. He says, we think you're ready to go. I don't know whether he was firing me or just thought we were ready to go. And, I, and, and he said, we think you're ready to go. And, and I said, well, we're going to go at least an hour away. I'll see if I can teach the Bible. I don't really know. Although I had taught at youth group and stuff like that in Sunday school at a previous church. And so uh, I said, but I'm not bringing anybody with me. I, I know that's what, what a lot of guys that leave here do. I'm not going to do it that way. So we started with seven people. Five of them had my last name. And so we started out in 2005, and my wife says to me, okay, I'm all for this church thing, but no more big projects, please. No more big projects. You had all those businesses. It was just it was crazy. No more big projects. I said, okay. So that was 2005. So I started another business in 2008. That's why I said some of the years weren't always so good for her. And so we started, I started another business in 2008, which we sold pre-COVID. Now, here's where it gets a little funky because some of you right now are like, well, this guy's a business guy. He knows what he's doing, whatever, whatever. He doesn't know what, 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 what my anxious life is like. In 2015, we dropped off our youngest son at college, and we went away on what we kind of sort of thought was like a second honeymoon. And we, went, we rented a house on the southern part of the Outer Banks at the beach where there was like nobody there. And we were there for two weeks, and the second to last day, I felt a pop in my head. And the next day, I got up on the beach, I stood up, I spun around, and I went down. 
It turns out that I have inherited, and it just took this long for it to come about, a very, very rare neurological disorder uh, in, in the back of my brain stem. And um, I'm very sensitive to sound, and I'm very sensitive to motion. Like, I'm fighting off those people over there right now, okay, that are over there. Which is why, when Jay introduced me, he didn't give the typical, love you, bro, right? So if you're thinking, he's so unfriendly. No, he had to exit this way so he didn't walk towards me, because if he walks directly towards me, there's a good chance that I'm going to have a, have a seizure. So tonight, all I want to say is, over my years of following Jesus, of being in business, of being married, of having a family, of pastoring a church. One thing I have really learned, if you're going to try to make a difference in this world, and I cannot tell you what I have seen, the differences in the people that come to our church. So as we come to Ecclesiastes, by the way, we are in Ecclesiastes. King Solomon, some people think he wrote it. I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm not that old. He had it all. He's searching for meaning for life. His famous thing is searching for meaning under the sun. Now, a lot of Bible scholars think that King Solomon was a mentor of a lot of young and emerging leaders. And, and so, get guys who are gifted and zealous... And young people are known for taking a lot of risks. And sometimes they're good risks, sometimes they're not, sometimes they make a lot of mistakes. I'm not talking about risky behavior, but what he's talking about here, I think, is he's helping us to think about taking a risk or a step of faith. What the Bible writer, whoever it is, is doing here is, is calling all of us to take risks to make the world a better place. So if those of you who like to take notes, the title of our message tonight is, Why is how we step out in faith important? Why is how we step out in faith important? Parentheses, a lesson in taking risks. So we're all called to somehow step out in faith. It doesn't have to be anything that I did. You know, I, I, sometimes young moms come up to me and they're like, I, I got three kids. I feel like I'm not doing anything. I'm just home with them, teaching them the Bible and praying with them and stuff like that. I go, you're doing it, girl. You're doing it. Stay at it. Stay at it. So we're all called somehow to take out a step of faith, but that means you're going to have to take some risks. And how you do it is very important. So for you note-takers, or you people who just write in your to-do list for tomorrow, number one, step out in faith with wisdom. Step out in faith with wisdom. I want to read verses 1 and 2 twice. He says this, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. Let's go slowly. Cast, that is a word of action. It's a word of action. Cast your bread upon the waters. 
Now, that seems risky. We think of feeding the ducks, and if they don't get it right away, it goes down and it becomes fish food. Now, maybe he's talking about pita bread. I don't, I don't really know. Um, there's, there is a kind of bread that might float. How many of you have ever eaten Ezekiel bread? Somebody just went, oof, who said that? Yeah, yeah, you eat Ezekiel bread. Um, my wife buys it for me. My wife's name is? Very good. Okay, hey, very good. And um, she says, it's really good for you. And I said, yeah, it tastes like it. <laughs> and, and so I call it Christian cardboard for consumption. So because they have Bible verses on the side. And it says, for you will find it after 20 minutes, one sermon. Ooh, somebody's reading ahead. How long? Many days. So what does that mean? You need patience. Somebody said, oh, oh, patience. Verse 2, give, word of, action, a a serving uh, to seven and also to eight, for, and this is what he says a lot, you do not know what evil, some verses say disaster, will be on the earth. Now, some people read this, and they're like, okay, I'm supposed to go out on the water and just throw water, bread out there, and that's supposed to do something? I don't get it. People say to me often, do you take the Bible literally? And I go, well, literal intent. I don't take it. I mean, it's not always literal. They're just using examples. Let me give you an example. Let's just say somebody comes in right now, and they come in, and they are like soaking wet. And they go, Man, it's raining cats and dogs out there. How many of you expect to walk out after we meet tonight and see animals falling from the sky? Do any of you expect that? No, we don't expect that at all. So we want to see what the Bible's talking about. I think he's telling us there's going to be some times in life when you have to take a chance. You've got to throw things out, even if you're not really sure what, what that's going to be, what's going to happen. If it's, going to, if it's going to be worthwhile or not, you're going to have to take a step of faith. Now, I tell you, I tell people about all the businesses I started, and I could just get, you know, I'm like, I got to do something new. My wife's like, you always got to do something new. And, and so, um, so I stopped being a youth leader, finally, last year. And I, and I was a youth pastor a couple of years. I wasn't a youth pastor here, didn't want the job. And, uh, but as a youth leader, at times, I just like being around young people. Uh, I actually thought I would sell my businesses at 50 and go work on college campuses, but God had other plans, I guess. And so, um, but, but I like being around young people, and so I just stopped doing it. And I was like, what do I do? So I started an addiction group. I was like, you always have to have a project. But it's the same night she has her young, young woman's group, so it kind of works out fine like that. But so people go like, well, you've done all these different things. You've been successful at them. Let me just tell you something. There's not one of you who would not like to have all of the money I have lost. If you had all the money I've lost, you would be considered wealthy. (laughs) You'd be very rich. Do you know how many mistakes I have made? Do you know how often I had to call the customers and say, I'm sorry? Do you know how many times I hired the wrong people? Do you know how many times all the stupid decisions I did? That's why I had to have staff meetings, and I would have to say, 
This week, everybody has to stop me from doing something stupid, right? That's how you get a raise in my company. Stop Jim from doing something stupid. Now, some people say that you guys might be the first generation and maybe a little bit older that was not brought up on Proverbs. There's a proverb that goes like this, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Okay? Faith is not being presumptuous. You have to have wisdom. You know, did any of you ever go skydiving? I have some friends who go skydiving. You went skydiving. All right. So did you get on the plane with your Jesus shirt on, and everybody else had their parachute on, and did you say to everybody else, they go, where's your parachute? You go, I'm just trusting the Lord. Did you do that? No, you wouldn't have lived to tell about it. So that's, that's presumption. You don't want to do that. Notice the Bible writer says, cast. That's like, any fishermen, you, that means don't be tentative, be aggressive, total commitment to the risk, make a total commitment to the risk that you are taking. Now, let me just tell you something right now, which I know you don't believe or you don't see or it doesn't even seem possible for you. You are at the ideal age for taking a risk. You're at it. So I told you, company number one, 24. Company number two, 26. Company number three, 28. Didn't get married till I was 30. This is a time when you can afford it. So what if whatever you try, and I'm not saying you have to own your own business. So what if whatever you try doesn't work out? You can go live with your friend. You can go live back with you can go live with mom and dad. You can do it. You can go live at the turnpike, although you might get arrested for being a terrorist now. You can do live on your friend's couch. You can do so many different things now because the older you get, the harder it gets to take certain risks because you're just not going to have time. Now, there's two major interpretations of this text. The first is saying that, uh, that Solomon's talking about making money in the grain business. I mean, he's a rich guy. So after the harvest, you can play it safe. You can keep it all for yourself. Or you can go down to the farmer's market and sell it locally. Or you can put it on a ship and you can make some real money. Be an exporter of grain. Make some real, real, real money. But that was risky. There was a lot of shipwrecks back then. There's a lot of dishonest traders. There's a lot of pirates. There still are today. And you ever see that movie Captain Phillips with Tom Hanks? Good movie, but it's a true story. It's a lot of pirates, Somali pirates, especially uh, today. That there's a lot of that going on. If that's the right interpretation, what's he saying? Be wise. And maybe he's saying, when he's saying, cast them out, put your grain on different ships. Don't put them all on the same ship. And we, we what the the proverb for that is, don't put all your eggs in one basket. So maybe you're like, well, I, I got a job. I don't know what to do. Well, let me kind of give you a little secret. Don't tell the IRS I told you. If you start a side business, you can deduct virtually everything you own that you pay for. But not everything, but you can deduct your cell phone, your computer, 
you know, all, all kinds of stuff like that. But again, I'm a business guy, but it's not, it can be anything. Another interpretation of this is work hard, make money, give to the poor, give to the work of the Lord before it's too late, before the opportunity is gone. Uh, despite for, for what much uh, passes for Bible teaching today, the Bible is not just about self-improvement, although we should be getting better. As followers of Jesus, our work in our lives should be helping others improve their lives. Let me give you an example. I was talking to a young guy who was in the real estate business, oh, probably about 10 years ago. And he says to me, everybody else is blowing it up at my company, at my place where I work at, except for me. And he said, I feel like it should be a woman's business. So what's he doing? He's making an excuse, right? And I said, well, women are better at real estate a lot of times than men. And he goes, yeah, I don't understand why. I go, well, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm selling houses. I go, that's the problem. They're selling homes. Right? Every time my wife and I have ever bought houses, we walk into a place. I look at her face. And then I look at the real estate agent and go, no way. <laughs> then we walk into some places and I go, you may be getting an offer. Right? Honestly, I live in the back of my car. I love my wife with her. I love her so much. To me, home is where she lives. I pull in my driveway and I see her car and I'm like, oh, she's home. Seriously. And, and yet, I pull in the driveway and I'm like, oh, she's not home. Maybe I'll go get the mail or something. You know, do something else. Go get some gas or something like that. See, but, but, he, but, but when you help others, you're actually doing the work of the Lord. And for some people, if you're taking a, a business venture, then that's how you make money. So maybe he's talking about taking a calculated risk with outrageous generosity. Well, which interpretation is correct? Both, because the principles are clear. All ventures of faith for a follower of Jesus, and I don't use the word Christian because it just, I'm a Christian. I'm like, oh, gosh, please, barf, right? I mean, like, because it's just such a watered-down word. Jesus said, follow me. So I always say followers of Jesus. So for a follower of Jesus, okay, we are, what we do, all ventures of faith, require risk and generosity. So we take risk and we're generosity. Now, risk might just mean that you're just going to go do something you, you, you know. When, I, when people come to our church, we have a lot of volunteers. And I, I, I do a volunteer interview with everyone. And a lot of them say this to me. They go... I just want to serve where there's a need. And I say, no. When you walk into our church and you look around, what do you see yourself doing? I remember I talked to a woman one time, and, and she said, the last church she came from, she said, I was the director of the nursery. And I said, um, I really couldn't see you doing that. She got kids. You love your kids, but I couldn't see you doing that. Did you like it? She goes, I hated every minute of it. 
I said, I could see you as a greeter. She goes, oh, every time I walk in our church, that's what I want to do. How do you think she's doing as a greeter? Off the charts. Off the charts. She's just absolutely great. She's great. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the parable of the talents. And the master gives one servant five talents. Another one gets two. Another one gets a single talent. And the guy who worked, who had five talents, talents money, uh, he worked hard and he made five more. Another guy worked two, had two, and he made two more. Another guy wanted to play it safe, so he dug a hole and he put the money in the hole. Today we call that a bank. So he, he put that in the hole. To the man who made, who had five, he gave five and he made five more. Jesus said this, Matthew 25, 21. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So the guy's the superstar, right? And he, he, he come on in, bro. Great job. Now, the guy who did two, two, and made two, not five and made five, not the guy who now has 10, the guy who now only has four. Do you know what Jesus told him? The exact same thing. Now, I don't know about you, but I often feel like a two-talent Christian. I'm still looking for the second talent. I don't know what the first one is either. But I don't feel like a five-talent Christian. There's just certain things I just can't do. Like, there's a reason they didn't ask me to do the worship tonight. I stink, right? Not, not, not good. I stink, okay? So there's plenty of things that we're not good at. Yet, okay, there's, a, there's the guy comes along, the third guy who dug the hole, and you know what? He has the nerve to say to God, you are a hard man. All right, now I'm from North Jersey. They're a little meaner up there. Um, you know what we call that up there? BS. How many of you know what BS stands for? Anybody want to tell me? What? You know what you want to say. You know what you want to say. BS means blame shifting. <laughs> <laughs> he shifts the blame onto Jesus. You're a hard master. I know people, they're like this. Oh, when they sin, they're like, oh, God forgives. Can I get an amen? I guess I can't. Can I get an amen? One more time. Can I get an amen? amen. See, I turned this into a Pentecostal group, man. I told you I would. All right. <laughs> so. You get an amen, but then once you say, well, Jesus has certain commands that he wants us to do, what do those same people say? He's a hard man. He's a hard man. Jesus is teaching that we all must work with the wisdom of God for the kingdom of God, which involves wisely taking risks with the gifts and talents that he has given to you. Now, a lot of times people will ask me this question. 
Do you believe more in following your dreams or following your gifts? I actually believe more in following your gifts. Because once you realize, start to fulfill the gifts that God has given to you, I have found they become your dream. There's nothing worse than having a dream and, and not being good at it. I've had a couple friends that started restaurants. They were the greatest cooks in the world, and their restaurants went out of business. Why? Because they were not good business people. They could have been New York City top chefs, but they were not good business people, so they didn't follow the gifts that God had given them. You see, the human tendency is, is also to be selfish with our time. But if you're going to take a risk, you've got to be willing to give up some of your time. It's also to be uh, selfish with our money. And if you're going to take a risk, it's going to cost you something. It, if you drove your own car here, just to come here tonight, it costs you gas money. And that ain't cheap. I get it. Right? And so you have to realize that. When I first became a Christian, uh, I was kind of a cokehead. And so, but I actually, when I became a Christian... I actually never, ever did drugs or alcohol or got drunk again or was never with a woman to my wedding night. That's what was going on in New York City in the late 80s. I mean, it was incredible what was going on there. I thought that's what Christianity was. So then I was at a Baptist church, and this guy taught me about tithing. He said, you just take 10% of your income and you give it to, to God. And so I said, okay. He goes, don't you want to know if it's before taxes or after? I said, well, I'll try before. So I start doing it. So he meets with me a month later. He goes, how's it going for you? I go, it's going great. And he said, really? You don't think it's a lot? I go, are you kidding? I gave way more than that to my Coke dealer. I mean, God could raise his rates. <laughs> See, but, but we're selfish. We, and, we, and we cannot be selfish. Jesus talked about the rich young fool, the rich young, the rich fool. And he said, tonight your life is required of you. And Jesus said, only people who are rich towards God will be rewarded. And at the end of verse 2, he says, for you do not know what evil, what disaster will be on the earth. In other words, we have to take, as Christians, we have to take, and by the way, if you're here and you're not one, man, dude, I am so glad that you're here. I have a church full of unbelieving people come. It's the funniest thing how many unbelieving people come. One lady tells me one time, I go, why do you come here? She goes, I like to hear a man who knows what he's talking about um, tell me about the religion that I don't believe in. I'm like, well, just keep coming, girl. <laughs> you are not far from the kingdom. <laughs> and so, but, but we have to take an eternal view of life. We have to live beyond today. So I believe that in this... Man, if you don't learn anything else about what I'm saying today, and I know we haven't gotten to point two yet, but if you don't hear anything else I, I say, listen to what I want to tell you right now. I believe that Jesus is so kind, so gracious, so loving, that it's better to take a Holy Spirit, Word of God, full of wisdom, directed, chance, and fail than to play it safe. Because people who play it safe don't change the world. 
and I can't get into this because I, I, I'll, I'll go off forever on this, but we came to this church in 1999. My youngest son was two years old, and my wife, we, up in the upstairs, up where Pastor Lloyd's office is, is that's where the two-year-olds went, and it was mayhem up there because the church was not near as big then in terms of the amount of space we had, and my wife was terrified. And the woman in the children's minute, in the two-year-old toddler group said, I will watch your son. You do not have to worry. And do you know that's why we came back here? And do you know? Seriously, man, I'm serious. The hundreds and thousands of people in our church that, that have been affected by the people that go to our church and the lives they influence, and all the radio stations, and all the people listening online, and all the people being sent out materials, just because one sister said to my wife, I will watch out for your kid. Stop thinking it has to be so big. Open your mouth. Say the right thing. Ten years later, I'm at Bridgefest. Haven't seen that woman since we left here. They moved down south. I did the junior high retreat. She walks up to me in tears, and she says, we sent my kid up to the retreat, care, couldn't care less about Jesus, came home on fire for God, handed me the program that he brought home, and I saw your name as the teacher. And I hugged her and I said, I am so happy to return the favor to you, girl. You don't know what your words to my wife meant. So I'm not talking about going out and doing all these big things. That little risk, that little step of faith, that little thing that's just going to change somebody's life, you never know. All right, that's point number one. Any of you have to go to work tomorrow? Number two, step out in faith with realism. Step out in faith with realism. Not some pie-in-the-sky optimism that ignores reality. That, that could be the biggest mistake that I've seen people make. They just ignore reality. Or the opposite. The opposite is, is, can be just as bad. The idea that conditions have to be perfect to do what you're going to do. That I, can't, I, I can't get involved until everything is all in a line. Verse 3. Now, verse 3. Any of you have a desk at work or at college or something like that? Any of you? Raise your hand quickly. Okay. And, and you're like, I don't want to put a Bible verse on my desk because they might ask me what it means. Okay. Put verse 3 on your, on your desk, and I'm going to explain to you what it means, and you will see, like, you'll be like a Bible scholar to the people that you meet. L look at verse 3. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. When people go, what does that mean? You go, it means it rains. <laughs> and if a tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where the tree falls, there shall it lie. Like, what does that mean? That means when a tree falls, there it is. They're like, wow, that's deep. 
You should be a pastor. <laughs> so na nature teaches us some things that we need to know. You cannot stop the rain. You can't. And the tree doesn't ask you where to fall. If it does, you need to go see someone, okay? It doesn't ask you where it's going to fall. The farmer prays for rain. The golfer prays for sun. The tree falls this way, and it's firewood. The tree falls this way, and it's time to call the homeowner's insurance. My mother calls me up. She still lives out on Long Island where the obnoxious people live. She, so, she calls me up and she goes, oh, we lost a couple trees in the storm. I said, oh, you got to call a tree guy? She goes, yeah, there's two things. I said, what? She goes, well, one fell in the middle of our yard. I go, oh, okay, that's good. Maybe you got some firewood out of the deal, stuff like that. She goes, the other one fell in the neighbor's sports car. I go, that's bad, Mom. <laughs> that's bad. That's bad. So what is he telling us in this verse? You cannot control the uncontrollable. You cannot control the uncontrollable. Now, some of you say, duh, I know that. But how often do you really think about that? That you cannot control the uncontrollable, and there is nothing harder to predict than people. People are so hard to predict. The reality is life will rarely, if ever, deal you the ideal situation for what you think God would have you to do. You have to learn to pray, to prepare, and adapt. Pray, prepare, and adapt. Any of you in here kids ministry teachers? Dude, way to go. How many kids ministry? Love it, love it. Listen, I teach grown-ups. I don't know why. I guess because they come and listen. Um, but I, if I, man, I, when I was here, I was a youth group leader. Uh, after the youth group leader went out to the mission field, I was up there, and they called me, and they said, do you want to come back and be the youth pastor? And I said, no. And then, but then when they, when they called me back, um, when, when our dear beloved Pastor Gary went home to be with the Lord, that was four years later, and I said, you know, hon, if he had passed the first year up here and they asked me to come back to be the children's ministry pastor, that's a job I might have jumped on. Um, and I, I that, So you're a kid's ministry teacher, so what do you do? Um, this is how you do it if you want to love it. You prep your lesson, you pray for the kids, and then you get totally ready for them to be out of control and out of hand. Because you won't be surprised. Because there's certain things in life you can't control. You know, you, you talk about gifts and you don't, something you don't know what your gifts are. You know what you need to do? Just ask your friends. They know. Come here a lot. Meet a lot of people here. Hang out with them enough. You ask them what your gifts are. They'll know. You don't know or you do know, but you don't want to say it. But they'll tell you. King David told the people of God when he was, you know, he knows I'm out of here soon. He said this, help my son Solomon and seek the Lord. It's very interesting he would say that. You say, what's so interesting about that? Most of us go seek the Lord and then maybe I'll help King Solomon. That's not what he said. He said, help Solomon and seek the Lord. 
roll up your sleeves, get to work, okay? Get serving the Lord in some capacity, some fashion, and seek the Lord. And, and you know, maybe it'll work out. Maybe it won't. Now, if you're a boss, business owner, ministry leader, you know, manager of some sort, you know the way this works with people. You make plans, and what happens? People call out sick. They do. They do. Or you plan this big event, right? We have this big event. It's a big event. Your friend's going to bring this or bring that. And then you text them. Oh, yo, dude, where are you? They're like, that's today? People are just going to let you down. That's just the way it goes. Just the way it goes. You have to accept it. You have to move on. Keep, keep looking out ahead. Stop living in the, in the regrets of the mistakes that you made. They're done. They're over with. Learn the lesson and move on and keep going. If you take a step of faith, let me tell you something. Let me guarantee you of something. You're going to get hurt. You're like, that's not very encouraging, Pastor Jim. I am not here just to encourage you. I'm here to tell you the truth. If you take a step of faith, you are going to get hurt. But you can endure this for this reason. Because Jesus stepped out of heaven to get hurt for you on the cross. And so you go back there and you think, okay, you could do that for me. I could take this one. I could take that one. I could work for that obnoxious boss. I could work with these people. Verse 4, critical verse. He who observes the wind will not sow. What, you're like, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? Okay, so you're standing in your house and your wife's like, isn't today the day you're going to go out and throw out the seed? And you're like, it's too windy. Well, if you don't throw any seed out, how much crops are you going to get? None. If you're always playing it safe, you're not going to get anything. The verse continues, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. So if, if, if it's harvest time, right, reaping, harvest, it's harvest time, and you look outside, and your wife goes, aren't you supposed to go out and pick the crops? And you go, it's raining out. It's not a nice day hey, man, the conditions are always going to be difficult. Let me tell you something. Anything in life that is worthwhile is difficult. Difficult. You see, people, that's why people go like, we're getting divorced. I go, no, you're not. They go, well, it's difficult. I go, it's supposed to be difficult. It's supposed to be. That's how you grow. That's how you become a better human being. When you learn to say, you know what? My wife and I first got married. Argument would last a day, two days, three days. Now, a minute. We don't even remember what we were talking about. We are like, what were we talking about? I don't know, whatever, whatever. We just don't, it doesn't matter anymore. And, and here, these guys are like, well, I want the wind to die down when I'm doing the seed, and I, I don't want it to be raining when I want to go out to harvest. If you wait for everything to be right, you will never get started. Never. You're just going to sit 
and wait and wait and wait. Now, it's good to be cautious. It's good to be wise. But to be overly cautious is unwise. I know that so many people my age, what they are saying now is, I should have, or I wish I had. Because they didn't take a step of faith. So I got this whacked out neurological thing, right? It's whacked. It is. It's really. It's, it's, it's hell on earth. It really is. And, and my doctors go, well, maybe you should stay home. I go, I ain't staying home. Do you know how many times I have preached having seizures? Some of you are like, is he having one now? No, I'm not having one now. But that's happened so many times. But you know what? I am not staying home. I'm not. I got one life to live. One. And there's a lot more behind me than there is ahead of me. Don't end up like so many of the grumpy people that I know that are my age that wish they had tried something. Again, you are at the perfect age. You are at the perfect age. You don't have all the responsibilities that people have and they're making a billion excuses. A billion excuses. And God will still love you and if you don't have any friends, if you fail, get my number from Jay, and I'll be your friend. Right? And I'll say it's okay. We all fail. We all make mistakes. It's just the way it is. People come to me at my church. They go, I ain't got a complaint about this church. And I go, only one? I have thousands. And by the way, this is the compliment line. The complaint line is the one that goes around the corner. Okay? There's always going to be a complaint line. Why? Because there's people in our church. There'd be no problems if there was no people. Right? But that's the way life is. That's the way life is. You see, so many people my age, they live with, I wish I had tried this at one point in time in my life. And they didn't. And they live to regret it. That's how our church started, actually. You know, I was here on staff. and I, Can I be honest with you? I was really comfortable here. You know why? I realized I like not being the boss. I like not being the guy who gets blamed for everything. And I was, I was talking myself out of, I came on staff here, Pastor Lloyd and I had dinner together, and, and I came on set with the full notion that I was going to go out to plant a church. That was my dream. I was going to go, you know, where I knew nobody, and that's what I was going to do, and see what God would do. And then I'm here on a Saturday night. My wife's not here with me, and uh, I, I told uh, Pastor Lloyd that we were going to go up north. We were going to start soon. The Bible study, we're going to go. By the way, I'm the fifth Calvary guy to try up there. Fifth, one of them goes to our church. The other guy's moved out. Pastor Lloyd started up there, two Bible studies, one not too far from where we are, and one down here. He goes, yeah, I, you know, I used to teach a study up there too. I said, I know. And he goes, them people are mean up there. 
I'm thinking, oh, wow. So I get in my car, I'm driving home, and, and I'm thinking, okay, Lord, you heard it. They're mean up there. I don't have to go. I could stay here. I could be comfortable, and everything will be fine. It'll be fine. And I never talk like this. I really don't. You know who came and sat down in the seat right next to me? Jesus Christ. He was more real to me than you are sitting right there right now. And I said to him, you heard what Pastor Lloyd said. They're mean up there. And this was as clear as day. Well, then, Jim, you should stand out in the crowd. I go home, man. I'm all unnerved. I'm whacked out. I get home, so Pam and I get into bed. And um, so, so we're talking, and I tell her this and that, and, and, and she says, well, you know, we'll never know unless we try. <laughs> Those wives, man, they always know the right thing to say, right? So she's, we'll never know unless we try. And then she says this, and she never calls me this. If you saw our texting, you would swear we both have other significant, like, boyfriends or girlfriends, because we have all these names for each other. We never call ourselves by our names. Like, when I call her Pam, she goes, what I do? So anyway, she says to me, I know you, Jim Kevney. Whenever she says that, I go, oh, man. I duck, because the Holy Spirit's going to back me, hit me with a baseball bat. She says, I know you. If you don't try this thing, you will be wondering for the rest of your life why you didn't do it. Because once you get something in your head, you're just that kind of person, Jim. You got to do it. On the other hand, you have to accept reality. So you have to balance these things out. I still owned one company. I still had an income. I still had a way to support my family. Now, some people go, well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many of you know that verse? Anybody want to put the, give me the address? Yeah, they all know it. They all know it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, you can't. You can't. You're like, Pastor Jim, it's in the Bible. You can't. Okay, great. I want to be in the NBA. I want to play professional basketball. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay? No, no. I can do all the things that God has called me to do through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. Only the stuff that God's given me to do. See, a lot of people step out of their comfort zone or step out without the gift set for what they're going to do. Without the drive. Without the work ethic. Without the training or maybe resources that they might need. They are unrealistic. The Apostle Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 3.6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. God gave every one of you gifts. Be the person that God has called you to be. Remember when I said I started our study? And when I started our church, seven people, five had my last name. One was a kid I knew from a guitar, with a guitar from an old youth group. And one of them was a guy I met one time. Sent him an email and said, I don't know why I'm sending this to you. But I think God asked me to invite you to our Bible study. So he showed up. 
He showed up. Still with me. On our church board. Runs the company that we started four years ago. He's so good administratively, I'm fair. But he blows me off the doors. And you know what? If I asked him to do the announcements, you know what he'd said? No way, man. You see, that guy is so good administratively, he feels his job is to run our comp- that division of that company and, and provide me with a paycheck. My church pays me, but I give it all back to the church. And, and he's going to work. He's also our bookkeeper and on our board. He works behind the scenes so I can do what I got to do. Technically, right now, in our business structure, I'm at the top. He's below me. I have this strange feeling I will be working for him in heaven. Because while I got all the attention, right, he's in Turkey right now. It's the middle of the night. I'm here whooping it up with you guys. And what's he probably doing? Probably working. Probably working making sure everything's going fine. But that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is when he says, you know, listen, you, you, the, the weather doesn't have to be perfect to go out. What is he saying? Stop procrastinating. Stop waiting for, have all your ducks in a row because you never will. If we fail to invest wisely, we saw that in verse 1 and 2, if we don't get involved, 3 and 4, we will never Harvest abundantly. I'm one of the guys that people invite to their church to talk to their church about money. I'm like, what are you afraid? I know the prosperity guys have ruined it. Now, I, don't, I only talk about money when it's in the text that I'm in. When it is, I'm like a dog that hasn't eaten in a week. It's fine. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He's talking to the rich people because they're waiting for the rich people because the poor people already gave the money that they want to send to, the, to, other, to other poor people. And he says this. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. But, I, but this I say, he who sows sparingly, if you only throw out a little bit of seed, will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully, throws out a lot of seed, will reap bountifully. So here's the question. Simple question. Most of you raised your hands that, that you want to make a difference in this world, Right? How big a harvest do you want? How big do you want it to be? Then you gotta have to throw out a lot. You have to give it a lot. And again, God's gonna still love you. The world's gonna be okay. And again, you're gonna make a billion mistakes and you're gonna be like, oh, the the idiot that yelled at us for three hours, that gradient told me this was gonna happen. It's okay. It's okay. People ask me often, what's what's God's will for my life? Here he's telling us, trust the Lord and get going. Stop, Stop having to feel it and just do it. If you're here at this church, I understand some of you are in college, right? But you come, but you talk to the people. Sign up to start serving here in the church. 
Okay, this is the way serving in the church goes. I'm just telling you. Okay, it's not a life sentence. Now, they're probably not going to ask you if you want parole. You have to go before the parole board. And don't be like, I can't come tomorrow. I, like, Saturday night, tell the children's ministry person, oh, the Lord led me not to come tomorrow. That's like stupid. Be like, okay, you know, I, I, I'm not going to be able to do this for like a month or two or something like that. And, you know, or, you know, in a month or two, I'll be able to do it. Give them, give them some kind of notice. Sacrifice time and money for the kingdom of God. Get to know one another better. Encourage people. Tell people about Jesus. Invite people to church. Drive people to church. You used to be able to invite them, and they would come. Now it don't work anymore. Now you've got to pick them up. Right? Hey, remember we say we go to church? Oh, it doesn't work for me. Oh, I'm sitting in your driveway. Like, don't, don't tell them you're about to leave. Right? And then when you get there, stop going right to your friends. Sit with them. Introduce them to people. Pay attention to them. Be realistic. Life is full of ups and downs. <laughs> Are any of you tired? Any of you willing to admit that you're tired? Just raise your hand. You're tired. You're tired. Okay, come on. This is going to be really helpful. I hear it ends when you die. <laughs> We're all tired. It's been my whole life running on fumes. Right? We're all tired. I'm not saying you don't rest. I'm not saying you don't take care of yourself. I mean, from here up, I'm a neurological mess. But from here down, I, I, feel, I feel like I'm, you know, 30 years old. I really do. I feel like I'm as young as some of you. I don't have all these aches and pains and stuff like that. I try to stay reasonably healthy, stuff like that. You're always going to be tired. You're never going to have enough money. You're never going to have enough time. That's the reality of life under the sun. Okay, third point should be shorter. Step out in faith with wisdom. That's number one. Step out in faith with realism. That's number two. And again, I'm longer because I talked about myself too much. I hate this. Step out in faith and it's going to seem really odd to you, with faith. A lot of people step out in faith, but they don't have any faith. Verse 5, as you do not know. Didn't he tell us that already? Is he trying to tell us there's stuff we don't know? As you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones in the womb of her who is with, her, with child, so you do not know. Well, there it is again. The works of God who makes everything. You know, <laughs> the older I get and the more mature Christians that I know, not, I know, let me correct that, I do not know any mature Christians. I know maturing Christians. Those people are now more prone than most people when people ask them questions they say, I don't know. You know, when I was young, if people asked me, why is there so much suffering in the world? I had a great theological answer for them. Well, 
think that was, what do you think that was like for me when I was in a hospital with a woman whose baby was born dead? Do you think they, she needed a theological answer at that moment? All I can say to people in those moments is, listen, I can only tell you two things. God knows what it's like to lose a son. And, and Jesus knows what it's like to suffer because he came to this world to suffer. But I don't, I don't know. Oh, I used to know. I used to know. I, when I was younger, I was so much smarter than I am now. I don't know anything now. What I thought I knew about people, I don't know anything about people anymore. You watch enough people drink away their families, drug away their families. You're like, how could you do that? So, so, so what do people do? Do they stay home? Do they give up? Well, is that what godly people do? No, look at the answer. Verse 6. Remember, we read this at the very beginning. In the morning, sow your seed. Go to work. And in the evening, do not withhold your hand. Don't give up. Don't be like, oh, it wasn't good today. For you do not know which will prosper, which will grow, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Guys, accept the fact that this world is totally uncertain, but God isn't. You do not know which step of faith you take will work out and which you don't. And sometimes they don't work out on a human basis, but God will say to you, no, no, you were faithful. You were faithful. I know you wanted to be a five-talent Christian, and you were a two, and I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. But if you don't take a step, nothing will work out. Nothing will. The farmer, what could he do? Play it safe. Hey, babe, we're living on seeds this winter. The seed diet. We'll eat seeds. But sowing, risking the seed is the only way to get a big crop. Jesus told the parable of the sower, maybe better the parable of the soils, the sower, Jesus went out to sow. The seeds, the, the sow, the seed is the word of God. And there was four soils, and he knew some would die. But what did Jesus do? He took the risk that some seed, some of the word of God, would fall on good ground and would grow. I mean, I find the Bible in so many ways so odd, yet so incredibly insightful. Since life is so uncertain, and I don't know about you, but do you ever feel like you're just like in the dark? I'm, can I be just honest for a second? You're like, you have been very honest with us, Pastor Jim. In some ways, I feel very confident that God has me. Really confident. And in other ways, I feel like I'm hanging on a thread. You ever feel that way? You're like, you're just like... Like you just want to run back over to God. So the Bible, it's, it's odd. Life is so uncertain. You're often in the dark. And what does the Lord say? 
Cast the bread. Sow the seed. And trust in me. And that's all I'm going to ask of you. That's all I want from you. Jesus is looking over the people. One of my favorite texts in the Bible, Matthew 9, and he's, he's moving He's moved with compassion. He's like sheep. He says the people are like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says, Matthew 9, 37, when he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest, the souls out there, the, you children's ministry people, man, who knows what one of those kids is going to do? Who knows? The first person who told me about Jesus I was 28 years old. He was a 17-year-old kid. I was like, where have I been my whole life? And I went to religious school for 12 years. Two of my aunts were nuns. One of my uncles was a priest. So I ended up on drugs. I'm not blaming them. That's BS. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest, Jesus says, to send out laborers into his harvest. What does God need? He needs workers. He needs risk takers. He needs people who are going to get out there. And that's just not church world, man. That is business world. That is everywhere. I miss the business world. I miss all the trucks backing into the loading dock and having to hear about Jesus from me. I miss that. Part of growing and stepping out in faith is working diligently and joyfully without the Lord giving us all the info. The do not knows of life, as you mature in your Christian faith, will actually motivate you. You say, why? Because you're going to be like, all right, how's the Lord going to do it this time? You know that guy I told you you've been with me for the first time? We do a servant schedule four times a year. One month in advance, we're going to go do it. We never have enough people. People move. We have a lot of transients in, in, in northern, northwestern New Jersey because a lot of pharmaceutical companies bring them in, train them, take them out, bring them in, take them out. And then by the time it comes time to print that schedule, guess what? Every time, it's full. Four a year times, well, now we're coming up on 17 years. Anybody good at math? It's like 70-something times, right? 72? 68, very good. Math, baby. <laughs> right? That's 68 times. We had to sit there and go, well, he did it again. Now we're just like people, all the rest of the staff's worried. We're like, yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So what does he say? Sow more seed, not less. Take more risks, not less. Take more chances, not less. Trust the sovereign God. The sovereign God, the God who is in control, helps followers of Jesus to step out in faith, to be more faithful, not less. My wife gardens, okay? She's got a beautiful garden. She doesn't walk out into the garden and watch and go, <laughs> right? What does she do? Fix the weeds, waters the plants, takes care of this, takes care of that. She wants to plant something new. She doesn't get a shovel and lean on it and pray for a hole. Right? What does she do? She digs a hole. God, there, there's, there's two sides to the coin. There's God's sovereignty. Flip it over. There's man's responsibility. The two walk hand in hand. 
Jesus Christ is the Lord of the harvest. The question is, what have you and I done with the risk that he took for us? And that risk was he became a man and risked his life on the cross for you and me. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, there's no risk in putting your trust in him. He said, all who come to me, I will by no means cast out. If you come to him and just say, you turn and trust, you repent and believe, you say, God, I'm walking away from you, but now I'm turning to you, and I'm going to put my trust in you. So why is stepping out in faith important? Because you never know what Jesus will do and who will do it, who he'll do it with, and when he'll do it. Faith is being certain of God when life is uncertain. It's being certain of God when it seems logical to play it safe. But if you're always playing it safe, you're going to miss a lot of his work. And you're going to miss a lot of blessings. When I sold my companies and went into the ministry, everybody I knew thought I was a complete nut job. And you know my biggest regret is? Why I waited so long. May God grant Gradient the means to step out in wisdom, realism, and faith in Jesus Christ. Take it from an old man. Take a risk. The ride will be both exciting and heartbreaking, but it will be worth it. It will be worth it. You will enjoy it and it will be pleasing to God. Well, let's pray. Well, Lord, these guys have sat for a long time, and they have paid attention. I'm thankful for them, Lord, and I pray that you do wonderful, wonderful things in and through their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you.